Good morning, Reach Church. How are you? I don't know about you. Um, I feel blessed to be here today. My name is Jennifer Brown. And I'm wondering, do you feel blessed to be here today? I don't know. Sometimes church feels like an obligation. Anybody? And uh, Are we going, do we have to go to church? I don't, anybody ever said that in their house? We've never said that in the Brown house. Um, but really, let's think about it. It is a blessing to be here today. We, we, it's a privilege we get to be here today. And that's how I'm feeling. Just the honor and privilege of getting to be here and share God's word with you. We live in a country where we can meet in public. We have all these versions of the Bible available to us in print electronically. And we get to gather publicly and worship God. And one of the reasons why we get to do this is because of people who have taken an oath to serve our country. And let's just have a round of applause for everybody who has or is. Truly, they lay down their life for us and in part for this freedom we have. I want to share with you the oath of enlistment that people take to join the army. I have never personally taken this oath, um, but I just want to share it with you. I, whomever you are, do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me according to the regulations and the Uniform Code of Military Justice, so help me God." So if you were going to serve your country, this is an oath you would take. There's other oaths. Some of you have heard of the Hippocratic Oath. That is an oath that doctors and physicians and healthcare professionals will take before they serve their community as a physician. And in that oath, it kind of has the idea of do no harm. And to remember that the, the people, the patients, they're humans. And to treat them as humans, as actual people and not just patients. Law enforcement officers, they serve and they take an oath um, on their door to serve and protect. But then there's also another oath that they take to maintain their integrity. And we all have some kind of service oath in our life, even if it isn't this formal. Wherever you work, you have some kind of a service oath. It might be called a mission statement. Blair Community Schools, our mission statement was where all students learned. And so that was our mission. And that word all was the key part. They would tell us um, it's all students. It's not just the students that want to be there. Um, it's not just the students that actually show up there, but all students learn. So that was our oath of service. At REACH, we exist, you as a member sitting here, we exist to be a community. I wrote this one down because I thought, oh, I better not mess up this one. We exist to be a community where people encounter Jesus and their lives are changed forever. That's the purpose. That's why we are serving here. We want to gather you together. We want to grow. We want to give and we want to go. We all are serving in some capacity because we were all created to serve. You may not have taken an official oath to what you serve, yet you still every day and every moment choose who or what you're going to serve and how you're going to serve that entity whether you realize it or not. Um, 
We were created this way. God created us to serve. I want to share a few quick scriptures with us or with you. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship prepared in advance. Sorry, I should read it and not go off memory. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're created to serve. First Peter 4.10, each one of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. You've received a gift to serve others, others, others. I kind of like to use my gifts to serve me sometimes. Maybe not you. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And one last one in Colossians 3, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward because it is the Lord Jesus Christ you are serving. We are created to serve. You are created to serve. The question is, who or what are you serving and how are you serving them? Now, in today's passage, we are going to see four specific groups or entities. And we're going to look at who they serve and what the results of that is. So um, we're going to pray and then we'll open our Bibles. But let's pray first. Lord God, I thank you for every person in a seat in this place and for every person that is watching online. Father, it is no accident that they are here. They have been prayed for and you have brought them. Father, I pray that you will settle every one of our hearts, that we may just hear from you. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move in this place, that you would fill every one of us with a desire to serve you and with the knowledge and wisdom to know how to do it. Lord Jesus, may you be magnified and glorified in this place today. It is in your perfect name we pray. Amen. Okay, grab your Bibles. We have wonderful people with Bibles in their hands that are coming forward. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead, just raise your hand and they will give you one that looks like this. Um, so if you already have one, pull it out. We are in 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you've been coming to church here for a while, your Bible should pretty much be opening up to 1 Samuel by now. Is it just kind of, you've got that nice little place there and it's opening up. So go to the place where you have nothing written yet. And that's where we're going to start. We are going to be looking at Saul again today and David. We're going to be looking at the Israelite army a little bit more, and we're going to be introduced to someone new, Jonathan. So to start out in 1 Samuel 18, we're going to back up just a few verses into 17. We're going to start in verse 57. If you are using the brown and tan Bible from the church, we're on page 174 on the left-hand column. As soon as David returned from killing Goliath, you heard about that last week, David and Goliath, the story you've heard your whole life, but hopefully you see it in a new light. As soon as David returned from killing Goliath, Abner brought him to Saul with the Philistine's head still in his hand. Tell me about your father, young man, Saul said. And David replied, his name is Jesse and we live in Bethlehem. 
After David finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. Now we're going to pause there because there's, there's three things I want to talk about there. First of all, um, the, the first of all, let's get rid of the big elephant in the room that some of you may or may not know about. There are people who like to take this passage and say that, oh, David and Jonathan were in a homosexual relationship. Has anybody ever heard that? Am I the only one that's... So that's kind of a modern interpretation of that. There is nothing in the original language to suggest that. The type of love that if you look at Greek and Hebrew roots, how they're used in both the Old Testament and the parallel to them in the New Testament, um, the two types of love that we are looking at here are storge and phileo. And one is the love between kind of like a father's love, an affectionate love that a mentor might have for a mentee, and the other is a brotherly love. Um, and I love where it says they had an immediate bond I love it when I meet someone and I have that immediate bond with them. Have you had friendships like that? You meet someone and you just click. That's what we see here. They have things in common and God just put them where they just click. And in a minute, we're going to see why Jonathan was so attracted to David to click with him and to have him as a friend. So we have that. The other thing that's really sad is people want to distort. He loved Jonathan as he loved himself. And they want to take that and say, well, that's got to be a greater love. But just help me out here. And you, you're going to know where I'm going when I start. What's the greatest command? People ask Jesus. It's recorded in three places in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Teacher, what is the greatest command? First command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And what's the second one? Love your neighbor. This is a beautiful picture. And we see different times where David is kind of this prelude to Christ. Like he's not at all, right? He's, he's human. But we see this and we see this. Jonathan is recognizing who David is. Jonathan is recognizing the anointment of God on David as king. And he is loving him the way we are called to love everyone that is as ourself. So we see that. Um, I, I've made my kids so uncomfortable sometimes. I, I love my kids. Um, they also know I talk about like, whew, I'm going to be an empty nester in one, two, three weeks. I'm not counting. Um, so they hear lots of things like that from me. However, I, I sometimes, you know, you just get overwhelmed with that love for them. And I've just been like, oh, I want to hug you. And I just, I've grabbed their face before. And usually I kiss him on the cheek. And one time I grabbed one of them, I gave him a kiss right on the lips. This was like six months ago, I think. The look on their face, like they were horrified. I was a little horrified too. I'm like, I've never, um, but it was love. I love them. And I just was this overflow of love for my child. That's the way we really are called to love people. 
We are to love them fully from the depth of our being as we would love ourselves. So we'll put that aside. And we've got two other things to talk about here. Talks twice about a pact, a solemn pact. What is this pact? To look at the pact, we need to look at one, that love, excuse me, and two, the things that Jonathan gave David. Jonathan is the son of Saul. Saul is the king. You know what happens in life. We've seen this all the way through, through society. Who is going to succeed come after the king? Their son, right? We see that. So Jonathan is the rightful heir to the throne. As that position, Jonathan has a special robe. It's going to be purple. It's going to be the color of, of majesty, of royalty. He's going to have that, that he's going to wear over all of his uniform. And then he's going to have his breastplate and all that fun stuff. And then there's going to be a tunic underneath it. And the tunic is going to have special insignias on it that are going to designate him as the heir to the throne. His bow, his recurve bow, his sword, his belt, every one of these things are indications of who Jonathan is as the heir to the throne. And so this solemn pact that is being made right here is Jonathan taking off all of his kingly garments, all of his claim to be king and giving them to their rightful owner because God has anointed David king. Saul has not recognized that yet, but God has anointed David as king. So that is what we see here. And this is huge because Jonathan is taking his claim to the throne as the son of Saul. And he's saying, no, his pact is his solemn pact. You, David, will be king and I will serve you. So that is what we see here. We see that Jonathan chooses to serve David. And his oath that he took to serve David was this pact and this, this, this pact contract and the giving of his clothes. So that is what we are seeing right there. Jonathan has surrendered what is owed to him. Jonathan has surrendered what he thinks his life should be. Jonathan has surrendered what is due to him. He has recognized his rightful king. What about us? What are we still wearing that we need to take off and surrender to God our king? What garments are we wearing because we still want to be Lord and King of our lives or Queen of our lives? I do have to say we have a family friend that calls me Queenie. So I apparently have some issues with this. We say Jesus is Lord. We say Jesus is the king of our life. We confess with our mouth and we know in our heart. And we're saved. We're not talking about that. You're saved. You've confessed with your heart or confessed with your mouth and you believe in, the, in your heart that Jesus is Lord. He is the king of your life. So you've done that and you're saved. But just that. You're a consumer of your salvation. You sit and you consume and you take in, but there's no service to God. You're still serving something else. 
maybe. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So Corinthians, just start flipping. You'll run into the Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And after that, there's an ark, Acts, Romans, Corinthians. That's how I remember what order those go in. So you're going through there. We're going to do the first Corinthians. Chapter 3. Give everybody a minute to get there. Verses 11. I'm going to start actually at verse 10. Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that we already have, Jesus Christ. So you are saved. We're going with that assumption. You are saved. Jesus Christ is your foundation and it's the foundation you're building on. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, the fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder, you, will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer a great loss. The builder will be saved. We're not talking salvation. You will be saved. But like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. I was sitting in a church pew in a Bible study the first time I heard that passage. And as I sat in that pew, I could smell the smoke. I was going to go skidding into heaven. I was saved, but it was going to be through the flames. I was not serving the Lord in the way he was calling to at the time. On the exterior, I was serving the Lord. But in my heart, he was calling me to more and I needed to be bold. We just sang a song, Fearless. I needed to be fearless and step out. That is what this is about. What determines the quality of what you build? Who or what you are serving and how you are serving them. Are you serving yourself or are you serving the Lord? What do you need to shed so that you're not charred on your way into heaven? What do you need to take off? Your relationships? Your job? Your checking account or your retirement account? Your right to be right? What are you still wearing that gets in the way? Um, I had a reminder last night. I wear the clothing of impatience. I want to be efficient and effective, and that gets in the way of me serving God sometimes. What about the robe of busyness? Is that your king? Is that what you serve? Being busy, wanting to matter in yourself instead of wanting to matter as a creation of Christ serving Christ. What is keeping you from serving? Because we're going to see that what we serve has consequences. We need to make that pact with God, just like Jonathan did. 
Okay, let's go on in verse 5. Whatever Saul asked David to do, remember Saul is the king. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. So we see David gaining great favor. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, Goliath, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. Now, this is a common thing. When, a, when someone had, when a, an army had victory, they would come out, they would line the streets and they would sing. We see this in uh, Exodus chapter 15. After you know, you've heard the story of the Egyptians and they're crossing the Red Sea and God parts the sea for the Israelites and then it crashes down on the Egyptians. And then we see Moses and his sister Miriam singing this song and dancing. And we're seeing the same thing here. This is a celebration of victory common thing but their song this was their song Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands Saul is the king David is to be under him now this is not accurate numbers this is exaggeration it's allegory but we see the point here Saul is here and they are saying David is tenfold better than Saul. Now is Saul serving the Lord where he's grateful for this victory that God has given his people? Let's see. Verse eight, this made Saul very angry. What's this he said? They credit David with 10,000s and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. Well, God already has. That's why we see these victories. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Really quick, let's contrast David and Jonathan. Sorry, Saul and Jonathan. In Jonathan, who is serving David, we see generosity. Um, we see love and we see sacrifice. In Saul, who is seeing Saul, we see anger and we see jealousy. And we're going to see fear. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul and began to rave in his house. He began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day. Remember, he's been doing this for quite some time, even before he slayed Goliath. But Saul had a spear in his hand and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped him twice. The word twice is interesting to me because if I am in a room with you and you hurl a spear at me, are you going to stay around to have another spear hurled at you? No, we're going to be out of there. What we will see and, and what we will see in the coming weeks as we continue to study through Samuel is that David is so dedicated to God and so fully in service to God that it allows him to serve under someone who is self-serving. And it's only by God that we can do this. David has been anointed the king of Israel. And he actually has so many opportunities to claim that throne on his own. There are times he could kill Saul, but he doesn't. He stays right where God has him. Can you do that? 
How do we do that? Are you, you've all had experiences in your life where you have to serve over someone who's not serving, excuse me, who's not serving God. When have you had to serve someone who is not serving God? Yet you know that's where God called you to be. It's where he put you. How do you do it? Only through God. And that's what we see David doing here. You know, Jesus tells us to love our who? Enemies. To love our enemies. And not just love them, but he actually wants us to actively love them and do them good. Sometimes we can't even do good to our spouses and our kids and our friends. Well, friends are pretty easy, right? It's family that's hard. Right? Like sometimes it takes everything we've got to be good to people we actually love. But Jesus says, no, love your enemy. Bless those who persecute you. That is not popular today. Nobody else. I feel pretty strongly that I can guarantee you that outside of these four walls, there's not anybody outside of a church that believes in the one true God that is telling you to love your enemy And bless those who persecute you. Because what are we being told everywhere all the time now? It's all about me. It's about what I deserve. It's about what I need. The whole world is about me. Boy, that'd be fun, huh? But not, because we'd all be about us. You are a Christian. We are not called to live a life that is about us. We are called to live a life that is about service to the one true God who wrote us, who left us his living, breathing word. And we don't get to ignore what his word says. We don't get to pick and choose. With fear and trembling, we scour this. And we pray for a spirit of wisdom and truth to know what it says and to be fearless in standing and saying, I am a Christian and this is the holy word of God and I believe it. Amen? Amen. We've got to do that. So yeah, guess what? Love your enemy and forgive people. How do we do that? We take off all of the crap that we have put on. I'm sorry. Um, we take it all off and we surrender and we put it at the foot of the cross and we say, I serve you. Jesus, you are my king. I will not serve myself. I will not serve my agenda. I will not serve myself. I will serve you. Even when you have put me in a position with someone who wants to hurl spears at me. Saul was then afraid of David, for the Lord was with David. The Lord is with you. We see all sorts of scripture. He will be with you, even in the face of spears. The Lord was with David and had turned away from Saul. We know that. We saw that earlier. God removed his spirit from Saul. Finally, Saul sent David away and appointed him commander over 1,000 men. And David faithfully led his troops into battle. David continued to succeed in everything he did. For the Lord was with him. Is the Lord with you? Say yes or no. Do you really believe it? Do we really believe it? I mean, it's easy to say. Like we all know the right things to say. If you've been in church very long at all, you know the right words. Are you living the right words? Are you fearless because the Lord is with you? Are you serving the Lord? Even out of your comfort zone. I can't tell you how much time I spent in the bathroom this morning and over there with my hands on my stomach 
fearless. I don't want to be up here. This is so scary to stand up here. But you know what? God called me. He doesn't call you to serve in your comfort zone. He calls you to serve in him. So just keep praying for me. Okay. Because this is, this is you, like, you guys think we're just up here happy. No, we're scared to death. Okay. Um, privilege. Okay. So one day Saul said to David, I am ready to give you my older daughter, Merib, as your wife. Okay. Do you remember what was the price for the person who slayed Goliath? was the, the king's, one of the king's daughters is his wife. So once he's already been, like David's already been promised this and now Saul comes back because Saul has no way of keeping his word. He just says, okay, I'm gonna give you my daughter Merib. Well, he already earned that. But first you must prove yourself to be a real warrior by fighting the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, I'll send him out against the Philistines and let them kill him rather than doing it myself. Who am I, this is David now, who am I and what is my family in Israel that I should be the king's son-in-law, David exclaimed. My father's family is nothing. So when the time came for Saul to give his daughter Merib in marriage to David, he gave her instead to Adriel, a man from Maola. So Saul, again, we see him not keeping his word. There's no other discussion. He just changes his mind. In the meantime, Saul's daughter, Michael, had fallen in love with David and Saul was delighted when he had heard about it. Here's another chance to see him killed by the Philistines. That's what Saul's saying to himself. But to David, he said, today you have a second chance to become my son-in-law. Then Saul told his men to say to David, the king really likes you and so do we. Why don't you accept the king's offer and become his son-in-law? When Saul's men said these things to David, he replied, how can a poor man from a humble family afford the bride price for the daughter of a king? There would have been a hefty dowry here. When Saul's men reported this back to the king, he told them, tell David that all I want for the bride price is 100 Philistine foreskins. Vengeance on my enemies is all I really want. Now that's common. Um, the Israelites, they, they collected the foreskins. Other um, armies would have collected, because there wasn't CNN. There wasn't worldwide news. There wasn't a news camera. How did you know someone really slaughtered another organization? They did really horrible stuff. They cut off all sorts of different body parts as proof. We won't go into it because, but they did it. So that's why they did this. This was not some weird thing. This was a normal custom. At, it's weird, but it was a normal custom at the time. Uh, do, 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 do. But Saul, what Saul had in mind when he asked for the hundred foreskins, um, what Saul had in mind was that David would be killed in the fight. Saul's just doing everything to get David dead. David was delighted to accept the offer. Before the time expired, he and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines, twice the amount. Then David fulfilled the king's requirement by presenting all their foreskins to him. So Saul gave his daughter Michael to David to be his wife. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and how much his daughter Michael loved him, Saul became even more afraid of him. And he remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. Every time the commanders of the Philistines attacked, David was, David was more successful against them than all the rest of Saul's officers. So David's name became very famous. What we see 
in this passage in 1 Samuel 18 is what I've been saying all along. We were created to serve, but who we serve and how we serve them makes a difference. Let's look at the four groups. We saw Saul, we saw Jonathan, we saw David, and we saw the Israelite army. Saul served Saul. Saul was self-serving, and that resulted in fear, in anger, in jealousy, paranoia, no peace. When we find ourselves in a place of fear, jealousy, anger, paranoia, without peace, we need to ask ourselves, who am I serving? If we are serving the Lord with our schedule, we aren't going to get angry about the interruptions. Who are you serving? If you're serving God out of your gifts, you're not going to be jealous about someone else's gifts. Saul served Saul. David served Yahweh. David served God. And what we see is that God empowered David. David found success in everything God called him to do. Please do not miss that David found success in everything that God called him to do. Just because we follow God doesn't mean we're going to find success in everything we desire to do. It means we will find success in everything God calls us to do. And please, let's remember, God's view of success is not always our view of success. Sometimes we are going to look like fools in serving God, yet that is going to be what wins someone else's heart for the Lord. We can trust God to give us success when we are stepping out and serving him. We see Jonathan. Jonathan served David. He recognized the kingship of David and he gave up his right and his desires to be right before God. And we see the Israelites, the military, they are serving the kingdom. And therefore the king, the problem is, and we're, Andrew's really going to get into this over the next few weeks, they don't know who their king is. Their kingdom is becoming divided. And we know that when we serve divided interests, we aren't going to be successful. We can't serve both ourselves and God. We can't serve money and God. That's a scripture you've heard of before. We've got to serve just God. So what we need to talk about is what this looks like today. Acts has some passages that talk a lot about we need to serve together in community. Uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. So again, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then there's that arc, Acts, Romans, Corinthians. If you're going through a lot of really weird looking names, you're still in the Old Testament. And I'm going to just go quickly. Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. If you're in the Brown Bible, it's page 655. Hey, that makes it sound like it's my translation. If you're in the Brown Bible. Um, I'm sorry. That's who I am. Acts 655. Um, I'm sorry. 
Acts 2, verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Turn the page and find Acts 4 in your Bible. And go to verse 32. I'm in Acts 5, 4. Okay, it's at the very top of the page. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph... The one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. This is not just about money. Money is one of the resources we have. The other resources are our time and our talents. So we are called to serve. You are called to serve. The question is how, where? So we are going to bring some people out and talk about how you can serve. While they are coming out, I want to talk to you about something that was said to me once that really made an impact. If you want to know what your true priority is, if you want to know who you're really serving, go open up your checkbook and your calendar. That's who you're really serving. Open up your checkbook and calendar. I realize that for a lot of you, a checkbook doesn't mean anything. Um, So open up your Venmo. Seriously, you, those of you, kids, open up your Venmo. What matters to you? That's going to reveal that. And then look at where you're spending time, what apps. Where are you spending your talents that God's giving you? Steve Doolin is going to talk with some wonderful people up here. And we're going to think about where is God calling you to serve and who? Hey guys, uh, thank you for being here today. I want to take just a few moments. I'm the outreach pastor here at Reach Church, and so I'll talk about that here in a little bit, but I get the privilege of working with all of these folks day in and day out, Um, and so I know them really, really well and what ministry they're in and what they're doing and what that ministry is doing. So what I want to do is I want to ask each of these individuals some questions so that you get to know who they are and what their ministry is. So let me start down here on this end and we'll come this way. Chris, will you kick us off and let everybody know who you are and what your ministry is? So my name is Chris Boswell. Uh, I am the technical director here at Reach. Been serving in that capacity probably for the last five, six years. Uh, Been serving in the technical department for a long, long time. Um, One of the things that I, is it most side, what are we doing? What was the question? Name and ministry. We'll come right back to that. Coming back. Okay, there you go. (laughs) He's trying to take my time. (laughs) 
I'm Jeannie Gensler, and I'm one of the directors with the Connections Ministry. My name is Bethany Noreen, and I'm the Sunday Morning Children's Director, and I also work with Jen Sullivan, who does our Wednesday night program and VBS. And I am Russell Seamer, and I get the privilege of serving as the youth pastor here. That's awesome. So now... You get to know who they are and what their ministry is. But now I want to ask a question. Uh, You guys answer in any order you want to. But what are you most excited about in your ministry right now? Um, Or do you have an upcoming event or something like that that you're super excited about? One word, four letters, camp. And we leave tomorrow. Super excited about that. But beyond that, that, I mean, that's this week. But beyond that, super excited to start what will be the second year of, of my time here in the youth ministry. We start that uh, September 1st. So, so, so excited about that. All right. Next Sunday, I get to host a volunteer celebration for all my Sunday morning volunteers. I'm so excited to do that next Sunday. But also, our Wednesday night program is starting up again very soon. We're really pumped for that. And we have a new curriculum for Sunday mornings starting at the end of August, which is going to be great. So my ministry is just a little bit different. Um, What I'm most excited about is every single Sunday. So Every Sunday, yeah. Every single Sunday. (laughs) Right. So, what I'm most excited about in my ministry is that I get to see all of you every week. And every Sunday, new people keep coming. We have old friends who have come back. And that is just really, really exciting. So, I think I have the best job. Uh, one of the things I'm most excited about is just to see um, the growth that we've had over the last year coming out of COVID restrictions, um, not only growth with our technologies, but also the team is starting to grow again. Um, and I think that's probably the most exciting thing. And also to go back and look at the people that we touch every week. Um, when we go back and we look at our, we can see, you know, how many people we impact during the week um, on our social media and our online presence. And just to see that, and that's a definitely a byproduct of what the ministry that I lead uh, puts that together. And that's just a really, really neat thing that I'm always excited about. That's awesome. Uh, what opportunities do you have available that someone who isn't serving or is looking to serve and get connected into the church. What are some of those opportunities that you have in each of your ministry? So for my ministry in the, the tech team, uh, we are always looking to, to add more volunteers, get more people plugged in. Um, so that's probably my, the biggest thing I need. I just want to get to so that everybody can serve once a month rather than I have several volunteers that work almost every week. Um, you know, I got a camera operator that he just says, yeah, just schedule me whatever. And, you know, if you don't need me, don't schedule me. Well, I, I need you every week. So, uh, just to be able to grow that ministry, that's really, and get more people plugged in and it's pretty simple. So the cool thing about connections is we have positions for every comfort level, so to speak. So we have ushers and Those people are um, helping you find a seat, helping you stay safe. Uh, We have greeters, and your job is to just provide a welcome and a smile. And then we have people that that serve in our Connect Center. And those are the people who really engage, who help you feel welcome, who get to know you, 
help you find the information that you're looking for. So we have lots of serving opportunities on the Connect team for both men and women. All right, I have a huge need in Sunday morning ministry for classroom helpers. You do not have to have a Bible background. You do not have to have led a Bible study or served in school, retired teacher, anything like that. We say you need to love God and you need to like kids. And... (laughs) It's very, very true because um, you can make a spiritual impact on kids. We have a huge range of ages, and we think that if you love God, liking kids is enough. And they like you, which is a huge part of why they love coming to church is because they like seeing adults and older people share their love of the Lord. And then for Wednesday nights, we need small group leaders for Wednesday nights to walk with the kids to our different rotations during the night. Yeah, very, very similar to to your needs. Um, we actually really have just about two positions that we're still trying to fill for our Wednesday night team. Um, and it's a little bit different because it's a weekly commitment, but we are the same thing, looking for people who love Jesus. Um, and again, you don't have to be the most... Uh, knowledgeable person when it comes to the scripture because a lot of times what we need is just people who can facilitate conversations. A lot of our services are are centered around our small group time on Wednesday nights. So we need people that can fill in there. So specifically, we are looking for uh, one lady that would be willing to come and serve in our high school ministry. And then we're needing uh, one or two more guys to be in our middle school ministry, which would be a huge help. I think that we need to, or I need to say something about this too. You, well, I'm going to repeat what Jennifer started off with our sermon today was God's given everyone in this room, if you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, a gift. You aren't supposed to hold on to that. You're supposed to give it away. You're supposed to go and serve. And that's what we learned today. So you don't need to be a teacher. You don't need to have technical abilities uh, all the way. You can learn, like you can adjust and God is going to fill in those gaps, but also whatever passions you have, God gave you those. So pursue those. And so that's what we're really saying. This is only a few of our ministries represented here on this stage. We have a lot more. After service today, there's going to be opportunities for you to get plugged in. But I do want to say one thing about outreach, because that's what I'm passionate about, is uh, it is an opportunity where you are not needed week in and week out to serve. There's not a large commitment to that. Um, Each one of these ministries looks different in that realm. But if you're just wanting to get your feet wet and just test the waters a little bit, you can start there. We have a giant event coming up this August 8th, a week from today, Pack the Park at the Sports Complex. We have lots of different opportunities. We have 81 slots available. So if you want to take one of those slots and just see if this is something that feeds your soul, and it will if you love Jesus, even if you don't, it'll feed you, uh, and, and, and it'll be amazing. But, but start there. So the, the start, though, is getting connected. I'm holding a connect card in my hands. Uh, They're all over this place. They're out in the lobby. We have opportunities at our website, reachchurchne.org. Go there and sign up and, and just give some information, who you are and what you might be interested in. Or if you don't know, that's what Jeannie and Shannon do. They follow up with those and they say, hey, and they ask these questions that might help you figure out where you can serve God first, but also through Reach Church to reach the lost. And so that's really 
why we're here and why we're all passionate about what we're doing. So um, I really kind of want to close on that. The how is go. Go out in the lobby and find somebody. All of the directorates for every ministry will be out there, and we would love to talk to you and answer any questions that you might have about that specific ministry or reach church as a whole. So um, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to be up here, share our hearts. Do any of you have anything else you want to add before we call it? You know I will. So one of the most exciting things that has happened to me in the last few years is when I started to um, make a shift. God was kind of nudging me to figure out where do my skills lie? What am I really passionate about? It actually happened to um, end up in a career change. But it is really excited when you are serving God out of a place of your passion and your skills. And so Steve gave a little bit of a commercial, but I'll continue it, in that one of my passions is helping you all find how God gifted you and where you can serve. And when you're doing that, it is so fulfilling. Amen. Uh, I think that's about all I have. Thank you so much for your time. Hope to see you guys out in the lobby. Awesome. Um, And, you know, Steve mentioned there's events. One of the other ways you serve is show up at the events. Um, It's kind of scary sometimes to walk in and be alone. Come on, pack the park. Even if you don't sign up to serve, we wish you would, but show up. When the women's retreat comes up, when women's events come up, when all the kids' events, show up and bring your kids and just be there and be praying for people and loving on people, showing up at church. Those are all amazing things. I want to close with a quote from Irma Bombeck, of all people. This is hung um, in my office for years or wherever my office may be. When I stand before God at the end of my life, I would hope that I would have not a single bit of talent left and could say, I used everything you gave me. You get one life, you get one chance, you get one today. Who are you serving? Let's pray. God, we want to serve you. Lord, we get in our way. Um, We let busyness get in our way. We let everything about us get in the way. We think we need our money and our time and our talents. But if we really trust you, God, we know you gave them to us to bless others. Father, I pray that everybody in this room will hear your calling, that even as they sit here now, they know, they know what you are nudging them to do. Lord, don't give them peace until they do it. Do not give them peace until they take action so that they do not miss out on the blessings of blessing others and serving you wholeheartedly. Lord Jesus Christ, you are amazing. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords, and you are our God, and we praise your name. Amen.